iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you for joining me. With me in the studio today, it's the very excellent Alison Rudd, who's qualified referee, as I might have mentioned once or twice. And also, yes, the favorite of Gooners everywhere, it's Stuart Robson. Later on, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, uh, an issue that made a big splash for us in the game this week. Pep Guardiola's anger at that shock horror tackle on uh, Leroy Sané. But first, we're going to start at Anfield and what I thought was... The most eventful tie of the fourth round. Alison, let's get this over with. Deja vu all over again. Horrendous defending from Liverpool. We'll get to the VIR in a minute if we have to. Um, Klopp says, it is not allowed to concede goals like that. And What, what do you do when, when, when it's really so bad? Yeah, well, it wasn't... It wasn't- I think a lot of Liverpool fans and commentators have, have looked at Liverpool's side and felt it is uh, unbalanced that Klopp hasn't given the attention to this go- his goalkeepers and his back four. It's usually a back four, uh, as he has his, his, his attackers. But this, this was not, even allowing for the arrival of Virgil van Dijk, this was not just about not having the best defenders and goalkeeper in the top half. This was about just defending as a group and the midfield was fluffy, lightweight, all over the place. Equally, Liverpool often defend from the very front. Their attackers were off the okay, pace as well. Okay, so, why, so why? this is well, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and, and Vinaldum played super the week before, right, against City. I guess it wasn't the week before, but you know what I mean. Yes. And then in this game, it's the same two people and they're terrible. And at the back... You talk about organization and whatever. I saw a bunch of individual errors. Trent Alexander-Arnold just sort of standing there and letting J-Rod run right past him. And and Matip as well. And wait, wait, what is it with, with, when, uh, on, was it the third goal where Matip runs and, and the ball seems to kind of go, go right through him at the yes. far post? Well, yes. what is this? The, well, I, These are indiv- you can't blame Klopp for that. This is individual errors, right? Well, no, I think it's Good. I think it's a team error. It's a team, is it it's a team, team error? Attitude it's, error. It's it's uh, I would, I, well. some of it is Klopp. Goals? I, some of it is Klopp because he talks about defending from the front and he talks about pressing the ball. And I've spoken to some of his the, the people that do all his video analysis, and they don't do enough work on the back four as a unit. And what happens if their initial press gets broken? The third goal is terrible defending. First of all, they allow Dawson to win a header unchallenged when the ball's hit on the diagonal. It goes out the box. Emre Chan is standing next to him, walks up and instead of just marking on the right side, the ball gets played back in. Half the team are uh, squeezing up the pitch. Half the team are backing off. 
Dawson's onside, that's a lack of organisation. And I would go back to to the the 80s, 90s. Tony Adams, people like that, Martin Cohn, were not great footballers. They couldn't play out from the back. They weren't particularly good individuals. They were made to be great defenders or very good defenders, along with Steve Bold, by the fact that George Graham worked day in, day out with the back four. Jurgen Klopp works a lot on the pressing side of the game. He has to do more work on the defensive side of the game when it gets into their back third and when they lose possession, when the ball changes hand. Emre Chan wasn't good enough. Wijnaldum wasn't good enough. Oxlade-Chamberlain weren't good enough when the ball changed hands. I mean, the way I think it was Krikoviak went past Emre Chan for, for the, the second goal, it was just too easy, far too easy. But Gab, you asked why is it like this now and it wasn't like that against City. It's because against City, Liverpool gave all that energy so that every single player, no matter how individually talented and creative they're supposed to be, they were pressing and pressing and pressing and closing down and closing down. That's contagious. So if, you have, if your attackers are doing that, your midfielders lift their game and the defenders feel protected and alert. We, I have said before, if, when Liverpool click, they are irresistible. And really, when, when I've said that, I've been talking about their front four or front three. But actually, the whole of Liverpool have to click for them to be irresistible. When, when the front players are pressing, as Alison's saying, and the midfield players are pressing, the defenders don't have to make such quick decisions because they can see the ball. It's, it's 30 yards away. Players are having to make uh, runs in behind. They can see that happening. When it bypasses those, because they haven't defended well left, now they've got to make very, very quick decisions. And too many times, they made the wrong ones. Yeah. Van Dijk, Van Dijk on the goal where Rodriguez scores and puts it brilliantly, he gets run out the way by Robson Carnu. You know, he's got to go to the ball. He made the wrong decision. You know, and that's something you have to do day in, day out to make sure you get the right shape about your defending and you make the right decisions. You can't just go out on a Saturday and say, well, let's make the right decisions now and this is what we're going to do. You have to do it every day in training. I, I, I just find it just just inexplicable how this crap keeps happening when you know we've seen Klopp's teams defend better and you know you can go and blame the individual quality I, I thought actually this time it was more about it was more about individuals making mistakes than than the collective the sort of the, the, the collective issue is still there this is not Atletico Madrid we're talking Could about you honestly say that Liverpool their midfield players, and the, you mentioned two, Oxlade, Chamberlain, Vinaldo, played with the same energy, the same dynamism, and the same effort as they did against no, Manchester no, they City. Didn't. They didn't. But if Matip doesn't get his legs in a tangle, then that goal doesn't go in. It's right there. It's how hard is it to clear it, right, for, for a player of his experience and, and, and athleticism. But there was many things that were wrong before that for that ball to be going into the goal there. No, I know, but, but that's why it has like a multiplier effect because because by the end, because ultimately people make the kind of individual mistakes that, that in normal circumstances get covered. The goal get covered. was disallowed. It's Dawson going up with Firmino. How could that happen? It's four yards out when he heads it. Where's the goalkeeper? He's four yards out. The ball well, was a looping was cross being, into the box. He's being shielded by the evil Gareth Barry. <laughs> He made no Ooh. attempt to go Matthew, past Matthew Syed, incidentally, big piece on, on Gareth Barry that. today yeah. and longevity. But that's okay. I mean, Firmino let him win the heaven because he knew that, you know, VAR was going was gonna to sort it out. Um, on the subject, uh, this, this seemed to me like the first VAR game where we had a bit of a VAR backlash. Um, Chelsea Norwich in the FA Cup. That was a the, there was a lot of criticism of that. First one at Brighton. There was mm. a lot of criticism. Was no one knew whether it was even being used or not. Well, sorry. Excuse me. All right. I'm talking about semi-valid criticism by people who've taken the time to understand how it works. 
in the first one, it seemed that the criticism was all about on the final goal. Like, did they look at this picture? Did they look at that picture? Doesn't matter. There's a valid goal. You know, he, he could have could have looked at a postcard and it would have mattered. In the Chelsea Norwich game, I thought it had more to do. Why was it you not used on the Morata dive? Well, you can't use it. And obviously, the other one was 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 the Willian one, which. Fair enough. It came down to interpretation, but I don't think it was criticism of VAR taking too long or whatever. Here you had this whole thing with uh, with the Sala incident, and people went on about it, and then people complained about the spontaneity of the goal being disallowed because of uh, because of uh, was it was it Dawson's goal or the yeah. or the West Brom one. So I think in that sense, it sort of turned, and I, and I sort of felt that. What do you mean by spontaneity of it? All right, this is this is one of the things that always gets me. One of the biggest complaints, and I think people know that I'm a VAR proponent to the degree that I think we've decided to have a trial. Let's have a trial and not raise stupid objections and try to see if it works and if it makes the game better and if people want to continue using it. People always bring up this issue that, oh, after you score a goal, you're not allowed to celebrate. You have to sit and wait and see if the, and, and see if the goals, um, see, see if everything's fine and VAR says the goal is okay. Now, I experienced this at the, at the, at the Confederations Cup in, in person, and yeah, it was a bit jarring. But by the same token, you have this all the time. People score goals and then afterwards... You know the the linesman sees an infraction, or 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 there's no or a flag goes up afterwards. You know how many I, you must have had this as a player. How many times did you have the coitus interruptions interruptus of of scoring a goal? Maybe not you, but seeing it scored, and then all of a sudden you take a step back. Yeah, of course you did. You know, and you. Oh you, boy, you, did that spoil the game for you forever? Not at all, and it doesn't spoil the game for me now. I, I've commentated on lots of games with VAR. I cannot see anything wrong with it at the moment and for all the criticism even the Willian thing we talked about against Norwich I still think it was the right decision because you couldn't be clear that the foul had taken place Willian was going down before the the, the the player made the contact and because he hadn't given a penalty in the first place he can't change his mind I think it's worked very well so far and I've got no complaints with it and I've 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 commentated on probably 50 games with VAR and I can't see a problem with it at all well let's ask our qualified referee I wrote a dystopia a week ago about not a prediction of how VAR will impact on the game, but a fear for how it might impact on the game. And one of the things I said might happen is that players are just too scared to celebrate any goal because what will happen is that goals that would have been allowed because the decision is marginal and you give the benefit of that doubt to the attacking team, even when you feel as a player... You know, we, we got it right, we were moving right, and we, you know, the attack was on the shoulder of the last defender and it felt right, and you celebrate because you feel it's right, and in some way, celebrating helps the decision go your way because there's a flow to it. No one's, no one's going, everyone, you're going to be offside now by 0.001 of a millimetre. That's good, isn't it? No, that's not good. It really isn't good. That isn't, a, that isn't what football is. Really? Yeah, going always, always to the, and, and if the, to re- the measurements. If the, refer- if the referees but, sorry, just leave play to go that little bit longer when somebody's running through one-on-one uh, uh, on the goalkeeper, you'll get more goals scored as well because linesmen will, uh, won't, uh, will put their flag up the referee will let it go on they'll score the goal and then they say let's go back the linesman was wrong it's a goal so I'm, there will I'm be assuming, times when a goal is given I'm assuming been. you're against goal line technology as well then because a goal can be scored or not scored based on point oh oh one of a centimetre as well right no that no I Why? think goal line de- technology is, isn't about that's not about what I just described as that flow of the game that is 
Alison, that is always that, that is that is that is a straight fact, and any striker who is and told straight... it did not cross the line would know that. But if you are on the shoulder of the last defender, and you knew three weeks ago when there was no VAR that goal would have been allowed, and now you're scared that it won't be. I don't know. It just feels does it just it feels like won't... the spirit of the game is gone. Does it mean the players won't take their shirt off and sling it round their head and then throw it into the crowd? Because that's a good thing if it stops them doing that. There's nothing right. wrong with that, I don't think, either. I changed that. So, so, I'm going to go back to a second. So, you think that. I think it's the, a danger. I the, think I'm the, wrong. The, the, the one thing that we're, people who are on the fence on VAR would agree that, oh, look, now we can use it for totally objective decisions, like whether somebody is standing in a position of offside or not. You say, well, that's not good because it could be very close marginal offside. And before it might have been given. Yeah, because there was a thing. There's a thing in football about giving the benefit of doubt to the attacking team okay. when things are so close. First of all, that's not in the directives anymore. Second of all, the whole benefit of the doubt to the attacker thing, that's done. But secondly, um, the whole point, though, is that you give the benefit of the doubt when you have a doubt. Now, you don't have a doubt when it comes to offside. So wh- what does that mean? There is no benefit of the doubt because you know if somebody's offside or not. The linesman's putting his flag up and the referee's blowing his whistle for offside when the player's running through on goal. Now, once he's blown for offside, he can't then say, oh, I should allow that to go on. He's got to allow play to go on, allow the player to have his shot to see whether he scores and then have a look back at it. That's one of the the drawbacks and, and that's why assistants are told only flag for offside if you are 100% certain, because obviously you can't call it back in that situation. I don't know how often that actually happens in a game, and I think well, actually... It happens nearly every game that I've done on VAR, where a ball's played over the top, the lines has put his flag up, uh, the, the referee's blown the whistle quickly. Then when we see the, the replay, he was actually onside, and it was, a, it was almost okay. a goal-scoring opportunity. So statistically, that actually is very, very rare, because assistant referees have been given, have been given that instruction. What might have happened... In other situations, is there's something else going on? A, a, a defender that's I don't know somewhere else on the pitch, or somebody coming back from an offside position, or people crossing, um, and that's maybe where somebody's flagged when they shouldn't have. But you know, they were making mistakes before as well. Now they make a lot fewer. Um, Alan Pardew raised uh, another serious issue with VAR: is his players had two hamstring injuries, which he. <laughs> you can blame you can blame uh, VAR for for one or two things. You can't blame it for players getting injured. Why? Well, there was. The, what are you a physio? <laughs> probably his wrong training. He had he had uh, two hamstrings, and then they had a player late on in the game that was uh, struggling with a hamstring, and that was down to VAR, was it? That's what he tried to insinuate. Yeah, because the players were hanging around. It doesn't take that long, VAR. What a load of old rubbish. Now, this season, with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup. And it's just £3 for a three-month trial. I think that's an exceptional deal because you also get all our excellent content as well. Alison, what was your favourite goal of the weekend in the FA Cup? Well, I'm going to go for J-Rod's second goal against Liverpool. Because I'm a masochist today. 
I've always admired uh, Jay Rodriguez and his cruciate ligament injury came when he might have been on the cusp of World Cup glory. Who knows? He was certainly in the best form of his career. Uh, he always seems like an exceptionally lovely chap. And when he plays, I think this was the game which proved he was starting to play well. I love the way he sort of ghosted in for that second goal. It was sort of impish and confident and completely in tune with his teammates. And it was in front of the cop. And I think that is something worth celebrating for a bloke who's kept going despite setbacks. Sure. Kevin De Bruyne's free kick. I mean, it's one thing thinking about it. <laughs> Sorry, to, can, can I just say about that? He made it seem so simple. He's like, afterwards, like, yeah, yeah sure, well, the, the wall was really close, so it's going to be hard to put it over it, so it was obvious to put it under it. Yeah, yeah obvious but, to you, not yeah. to everybody in the wall. It's not just the thought. It's actually, to strike the ball cleanly, it usually comes off the ground. If you're going to strike it with any sort of power, it usually comes off the ground by a, a foot or two foot. For him to actually do it, with that amount of power and to get it underneath them all the way along the ground is a good bit of skill. It's great technique from him. Spurs were also held by a team called Newport County. When I thought, um, when I think of all the magic of, of, of the cup stereotypes and whatnot that we, that we throw out there, Newport County kind of, I've never been there. Um, only watched it on television. So you didn't burn down their uh, clubhouse? It wasn't me, okay. no. You've never um, been. See how he was quick to say he'd never yeah. been? I, I yeah. don't think he protested too much. Just, yeah. just, to, just to make it clear. It's that little fag he had around the corner, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it did, um, it did strike me that like this is it, right? The way that ground looked on television, the, the conditions, it was all right for this, right? Mm. Have you, you've played in conditions like that? Absolutely. I was part of the Arsenal team that lost to York City, a famous defeat, uh, where half the pitch was icy because uh, the sun hadn't been able to come over the stand and the other half of the pitch was a quagmire. Uh, so you had to wear, depending where you were playing, you had to wear different boots for, for different halves. The pitch was, was terrible condition. This was, was in the 80s? This was in the 80s. Didn't they, York City also nearly knock out Liverpool back then? I think they played Liverpool oh. after Arsenal. They drew with Liverpool right. and then lost five or six at Anfield. But, it thawed. But there was lots of games that you played like that. And the, the, the leveller wasn't so much the surroundings, the stadium, it was the pitch itself. You know, and that was the leveller with, with Newport County against Tottenham because Tottenham still thought they could play into midfield and the ball, it takes longer to control the ball because it's bobbling so you can't get your head up so you have to take your first touch instead of playing first time round the corner. Newport knew that and closed the ball down. They did it very well. Uh, and Spurs didn't really realise what the conditions or, what, or how they had to play. In the they had two centre-forwards in Kane and Llorente, bypass the midfield, get it into the... and then start playing from there. And what? the floodlights. They didn't like the floodlights. Oh, dear. Which is ridiculous for Vertonghen to complain about the floodlights before kick-off. What message does that spread to the team? It says, oh, we're not... We don't like this. It's, yeah, what? absolutely. It's, it's the wrong message straight away, isn't it? You're saying, well, yeah, this, isn't, this isn't good. You know, they could cause us a problem because the floodlights aren't... The pitch isn't very good. Hey, you just have to, you have to just get away from well, that. When a football guy answers a football question honestly like how is it different here what are you thinking about and he honestly and innocently says well actually i don't like the floodlights blah 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 we're not used to it now you go and mock him yeah see this is kind of cuter than that guy you got to be cuter than that you can mention the floodlights but don't mention it like that why just well, say, why just stupid say, games this is, this, why not I'm, be honest say, about just it just say it's great to be somewhere different this is the magic of the cup see this, this is this this is why then we get all these these this this inanity of like stupid meaningless empty quotes 
Say it after the game. When you've won 3 0, say the pitch was terrible. Yeah. Like, but yeah. we, we, we but the problem that is, and we don't But the problem well. is, they drew. So then if you say it afterwards, it sounds like, oh, look, baby, big baby for Tongans making, making when excuses. When you win 3 0, you oh, can say Oh, otherwise, you don't say anything. Yeah, great. That's wonderful. <laughs> Seriously, I'm sorry, Jan, if you're listening. Please continue speaking openly okay, and honestly yeah, the way you always have. Manager, Don't listen to these two harpies. Would you be glad that your players were picking up on things that were negative? Yes, because it means that they were aware of them. Well, they clearly, clearly didn't react properly. If, if When players or managers say, I, could, I knew that West Ham would lose on Saturday against Wigan when I heard the press conference that David Moyes gave on the Friday. Well, because thank he, you, Nostradamus. Because he's, te- he's putting every negative thought into the player's mind. and to the, He's almost making the excuses before he gets there. And that's what happens when you do that. I think you should give a little bit of credit to, to, to Wigan as well. Um, we have a wonderful story um, in, uh, in the game today. And Alison, you can help me by turning to said page and telling me this dude's name because I have no idea what it is. Gavin Foxall. Gavin Foxall, who I thought he was the chairman of Newport County, but he's not actually, is he? Well, he's full title, the chairman of operations. He's the chairman of operations. Uh, COO. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, can you just summarize that? Because I, I thought it was wonderful. So for those who don't know, what happens in the FA Cup, and this is an age-old thing, and I know we have listeners from all over the world, when you, I think you get, is it 15% of, of, the, of the gate receipts if you're the away team um, in the FA Cup? And so Newport County... The host Spurs, obviously the gate, they'll sell out, but because it's a tiny ground and it's the size of the studio, they're not going to get much money. But because they got the replay 1-1, they get to go and play at Wembley, which I'm assuming won't sell out, but it's going to be a massive crowd, 50,000, 60,000, and Newport will get 15% of that gate. So it's a really big deal to them. It's a really big deal traditionally for smaller clubs um, in this country because it's just a big payday above all else. Um, so they what's need the... the money. They need the money more than ever because there was a tumble dryer defect mm. in one of the buildings at the training ground. And this building was multi-purpose. It was the players' bar. It was the players' uh, relaxing area. It was... Let's go relax next to the gym. tumble dryer. It had, a, had their gym stuff in it. it. It was sort of multi-purpose, basically the only place for the players to go. And they don't have it at the moment. So they can rebuild it. And it was burnt down by you smoking a fag, claiming uh, you never yes. were there. Yes, clearly, clearly. I, I think I just think it is one of those wonderful little yeah. FA Cup type stories. Uh, but by the way, listeners out there, if you do own a tumble dryer, proper <laughs> venting is essential. Seriously, it's worth spending a little bit of extra money to make sure that that it vents um, according to European. Uh, union regulations and European Union standards. Now, after Brexit, y'all can do whatever you want, burn the house down for all I care because it's going to be a free-for-all. But for now, just for your own safety, it's uh, it's really worth paying attention to that. just take the fluff out. Or put it on the washing line. Or put it on the washing line. Put it on the washing line in this country. Do you think it's ever going to dry? Final point on Spurs. Lucas Mora, um, we're reporting today that they're very, very close. Let's just pretend through the magic of podcast that this deal is announced today. Um, sure, if it goes through, does this make sense? Is this a good reclamation project, given that he's basically been pants for the last 18 months? Uh, I'm not sure. Sh- 25, hungry to restart his career? Yeah, I think he's a, a good are you player. Getting, are is you it? getting a Bra- the Brazilian Lamela? Uh, yeah, I think obviously Lamela will be the player that's most in danger. Um, he's only got six months to go on his deal. I don't think he cares. He's... 
a different player to Ericsson. He's not really a passer of ball. He's a runner with the ball out on the right-hand right. side. Uh, Deli Alley's a different sort of player to him. So he, he might give them something a little bit different to what they've got. And I, I, I'm, he's a bit like Son. Son will play on the left-hand side. Luke, uh, Lucas Moura would do the same on the right-hand side. He can go past pull. He's got a bit of pace. He's a decent cross of the ball. It's an OK signing. Did you motivate him? Uh, I think he'll be motivated coming to Spurs. Hey, to be fair to him, I mean... <laughs> You know, Neymar comes in, and you're kind of done, right? But I, I'm still, I'm still a little bit surprised by how quickly he sort of disappeared out of the picture of PSG. But I suppose for that kind of money, probably, probably a gamble worth taking. And uh, our reporter at that game was Gary Jacob, and he points out in the game that he would be the 18th, no, the 22nd signing of, yeah, the 22nd arrival under Pochettino, and 18 will have been. Foreign. And there's this sort of myth that Pochettino's great for English football, but he doesn't buy English. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. Now, in our debate this week, we're going to turn our attention to uh, uh, something that uh, happened um, in Wales, where Cardiff were hosting Manchester City. Uh, Cardiff aside, for those who, like me, don't follow the championship, and yes, I had to look this up, are a team that are uh, are in the playoff spots in the championship, which I'm told is the second tier of, of English football. <laughs> I think you knew that. <laughs> no, it's seriously it's where it's where it's where all those teams that get that get relegated disappear to. So City won two 0 um, There's some controversy with VAR, but I think what what stood out a lot was Pep Guardiola got extremely animated and extremely angry, especially at one point in the game. There's a player named Joe Bennett. Uh, you probably watch the championship, so you probably know who this dude is. I have no idea I who he is. I haven't watched that much championship. No. Um, who was playing with a lot of drive and energy and enthusiasm and putting his boot in. Who, that's one way to look at it. Otherwise, he's just running around kicking people. Um, and at one point, he put in a really, really nasty challenge on Leroy Sané. And if and if you actually see this, this is a challenge where he goes and he catches him in the ankle 
and you actually see his ankle buckle. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, early indications are they're talking three, four weeks, so it was horrible to, to look at. Balpep came out afterwards and talked about the need to go and protect players, protect players from, from nasty tackles. It's not exactly a novel idea. People have been saying this in different guises, but obviously it's Pep Guardiola saying it, and we've just had it. Nobody's going to disagree with this, are they? Well, but the question is, how do you protect them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's being blown out of proportion slightly because it was a dangerous tackle, and if it's a dangerous tackle, you should be sent off, and he wasn't sent off. So there was a an error made by the official during Lee a Mason. during a period during Lee a Mason. period when we are talking about VAR, and this would have been a well, would it have been actually because because he didn't give him a red card so it wasn't reviewable in that sense no, but, the, but, but, but the voice in his ear would have said you, you need, need to, to have a look at that because because you can change your mind if it's a sentence yeah it depends who's in his ear if it's some kind of freaking neanderthal who thinks that red cards spoil the game then exactly or he, he still has the referee still has a chance to say no i'm absolutely confident that was not dangerous that was yeah no well, yeah so Okay. As it All stands. Right. <clears throat> I would okay, say wait, in wait, the main. Wait. In no, the main. Yeah, I, I know the VAR rules, I think, better than most people here. So what would have happened had this been a VAR game? This is what these these are the steps that, that would have that, that would have intervened. So the tackle goes in, Mason gives him a yellow. If the VAR and his assistants see replay angles uh, that suggest and they, they don't have much time to do this, incidentally, that suggests that it probably warranted a red card. Then they see it as a clear and obvious error that this was not punished with a red card. Then they get into Mason's ear and they say, hey, Lee, you need to take a look at this because we think that it was clearly and obviously uh, a red card. At that point, Lee Mason can say, nah, you guys don't know what you're talking about, which happens very, very rarely. I think there's two cases in Germany, I think, where it happened, but, you know, whatever, they're German. Um, but in general, this does not happen. And at that point... Lee Mason would make his, his little sign, kind of like um, uh, in, in Pulp Fiction, and he would trot over to the screen, he would look at the screen, and then he would either change his decision to a red or say, nah, you know what, even after looking at it, I still think it's a yellow. Players are far more protected now than they've ever been because there's so much uh, video evidence. Uh, every game in, in the top flight is on the television. You, if somebody makes a bad challenge, that's going to be highlighted. They're going to look back at it. They can't do anything there and then, but um, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of players that are going to that, that see that they've made bad, bad tackles. Years ago, there was so many more bad tackles. Players went out to hurt other players. That doesn't happen anymore. Reducers, right? That was a term? Some of the best players. The best player... Martin uh, Keown... No, the best player uh, I probably, one of the best players I played against was Graham Souness. As a footballer, he was magnificent uh, passing the ball. Uh, he ran midfield. He was a leader. He was also the dirtiest player you would play against. There's no question about it. Right. See, this would take us on a long digression, which I really can't <laughs> do. But what I would say about that, what I find absolutely astounding is I don't know that there's a player, because so many people have said he was dirty, you can go and, and see how dirty he was. I don't know. If there's any other player in, in history, I mean, in this country, who was as talented a footballer while also being as dirty. Who 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 was in that sort of perfect overlap of the two spheres? And you talk about Graham Sunes. I'm talking about yeah, Graham Sunes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if today, with the evidence, with the attitude today, 
Graham Souness would have to completely change his game because he'd sign for a team based on his ability and he'd be getting three match bans, four match bans, and then he'd just say, all right, screw this. Let me, you know, let me get some other guy to go and be the goon. Because th- that was the case back then, right? Well, in, in Souness's in, in, time. In my, in my very second game, uh, I'm 17 years old, we're playing at Anfield away, and it's the replay of a, a League Cup game, League Cup quarterfinal. In the first game, uh, Ray Kennedy, playing for Liverpool, got sent off for uh, headbutting Peter Nicholas, who made a meal of it. He didn't headbutt him. And as we lined up in the tunnel, Graham Souness... Wait, Peter Nicholas? The Welshman? The Welshman. Peter, oh, right, because if you were English, you wouldn't have cheated. But, so yeah. Graham Souness looked down the, the, our line and said to Peter Nicholas, you won't last the game. 20 minutes into the game, uh, Peter Nicholas came off with a six-inch gash on the side of his knee. And nobody saw it because it was so late uh, Graham Souness had carried out what he said he was going to carry out, and that was ex- it was sort of half accepted. You see what? Well, that, but, but football was different in this very room. I interviewed Graham Souness about his autobiography, mm. and he was never given any instructions by his managers. No. He was told, "You look after each other." Mm. It was that's what you did. You looked after each other. Yeah, I heard that. I buy that to a pick. Because correct me if I'm wrong here. Weren't there also? I seem to remember, and this is before my time, but in the 80s, didn't most teams have somebody who was basically a midfield who they had one guy who could play and one guy who was just a goon? And again, Steve McMahon, I'm sorry, even Liverpool, right? I'm not having a go at him, but, you know, he was sort of that. Or was it, was it Jimmy Case I'm thinking of? Jimmy Case was a very good footballer, though. When he went to Brighton, he was their outstanding passer of the ball. Yes, he's an outstanding footballer at Brighton, which is like being an outstanding footballer at Real Madrid. I'm sorry, no, come it's, on. It's, it's, no, it's hard. You're talking absolute rubbish, Kevin. It's harder to be a... He was playing in the in the Premier League, the, the first division. I didn't division. want to mention Vinnie Jones, but for, they will. For, for Brighton. Jimmy Case. Didn't every team have players like that? Most teams have yeah, but, somebody like that? But you're, you're that? saying one was a goon and one was a player. Le- uh, Leeds, when they were the top team in, in England... Oh, Billy Bremner, yes. Billy Bremner and Johnny Giles were both bad tacklers. There was J- uh, Jack okay. Charlton. There was uh, even Peter Lorimer would put in bad tacklers. What about tacklers. Bite Your Legs? Norman Hunter. <laughs> Lots of teams. That was right. part, of the, okay. part of them being a good right. team. Let's take this back into the present. Neil Warnock said, well, what does he expect? He's in England now. Right? That's his reaction to Pep Guardiola, to Leroy Sané, to all these people who are, are shocked that Bennett would have put in a red-blooded tackle. If it was any team in the Cup at the weekend that you said who would commit bad tackles based on who their manager was... It would be Cardiff. <laughs> because, I mean, this is a manager that ended up trying to get more players sent off so a game would be cancelled when he was at Sheffield United, when they ended up with uh, eight players on the field and he was trying to get them down to seven so they would the game would be finished. So I'm not surprised that Cardiff have committed one or two bad fouls. That's in the manager's DNA. And if you're Cardiff and you're facing Man City, what are you going to offer what are you going to say to your team to make them think they can possibly get anything out of it is to say, well, they're a bit feet, they're a bit posh. Come on, let's give it, Sonny, let's give them Sonny something like serious to think about. Yeah. No, I, until a few years ago, there were people who said, let's protect talented players. We all like seeing talented players, but we're losing the art of defending or, you know, we haven't quite got the balance right or it's gone too far towards the protection of gifted players. And, I was actually thinking back to sort of horror tackles, and this is entirely anecdotal, entirely my impression. Maybe you guys have different impressions, but in the last two, three, four years, I, I just simply don't remember as many really nasty, ill-timed, dangerous tackles that you know that, that leave somebody out for a long time. Even even stuff that's maybe not mean spirited, but but dangerous. Going back a few years, the the shot cross on Ramsey one, which caused 
tons of debate. You could, I think, I think even Shawcross would argue that, you know, he certainly didn't mean to hurt him, but a big heavy guy going in that way, you know, he might not, he might choose not to do it today because maybe it might get punished differently or whatever. Have we gone a little bit too far in that direction? I don't think you want dangerous tackles, but what is happening now is that players are getting sent off for too innocuous challenges. We're booking players too readily. Uh, I think there are less dangerous challenges, and that has to be right. You don't want players breaking their legs. You don't want reckless challenges, but you need to still be able to tackle and, and, and not give away a free kick just when there's any sort of contact. I'm imagining that you've been in the Bennett situation you were in that situation as a player where pacey guy runs through you're coming at him from from the side and stuff you have one shot at him and I mean, this might seem like a silly question but he could have just tripped him because he obviously i mean you go into tackle if you think you're going to win the ball i'm assuming bennett knew there was no way he was going to win the ball it was just impossible but if he wanted to break up the attack he could have just sent him tumbling he could have just tripped him right I think where times or, have changed, or, or is that an unfair decision? I, I think when t- what time times have changed. You used to go into tackles thinking, I might win the ball here, but I might get the player, and you were okay with that. Now you've got to be fairly sure you're going to get the ball, uh, and particularly when somebody's running sideways or running at ninety degrees to you, and you're coming across. If you don't time it perfectly, you're going to commit right. a, 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 a foul. Do you but think what Bennett he should be, what, what, he was going to get the ball? What Bennett should have done was have made the tackle in front of Sane to try and block the ball rather than going at the ball where it was, that's where he made the mistake. At the risk then of having Sane yeah. jump over him, in which case, though, he could then lift his leg and just trip him. Yeah. If, if, I mean, if, if, if your goal what, if is to stop if you, if, if, if you want to stop a, a counterattack, yeah, you could do it without hurting But obviously, if he slides in front, then he's not going to get the ball. No, if he slides in front... He's got zero Sane, No, Sane might kick the ball into his foot. That's So you're, block, you're trying to block where the ball's going to go. Or Sane might just cut on a dime, let the guy slide past him and then take it's off. All, you're, all, you're talking about a split second. So that, that's the decision you've got to make. 30 years ago, mm-hmm. when people have said, oh, Bennett tackle, that was an honest tackle, you know, a bit harsh with the yellow. Uh, no, they'd have still said it was a bad tackle. They would still would have yeah. said it was a red card. Yeah, uh, yeah I would think so. Uh, you, you got away with a whole lot more 30 years ago, and, and there's no question about it, and probably 20 years but ago. it was a red card 30 years ago. Yeah, if, you, if you've, yeah, it was a red card. Not just with a soft southerner like you, going and, and making that argument, but it was a red card. I right? think when people, so, when people look back at it and, on a replay, they'd say, yes, but this was happening week. There was no television I watching every game. I think to accept that, you know, Lee Mason, when you're going back to your argument, your benefit of the doubt argument, and I'm giving Lee Mason a massive benefit of the doubt here. At that stage of the game, it was on television. Cardiff go down to 10 men here. This is going to get really ugly very quickly. Let's preserve the spectacle. He obviously fouled the guy. Let's just give him a yellow, and he knows he's not going to do it again. And then, of course, actually, the way I saw Bennett kind of seemed to take that yellow card as a license, as like, ooh, let me go and, like, chop down some more players because, frankly, at this stage, you know, he's not – he clearly doesn't have the the, <laughs> the cojones to go and send me off, but, you know. It's interesting whole... you say that, Gab, because I felt the theme of the FA Cup weekend was that referees were – slightly more lenient mm. when there was a disparity in league position I did feel that I felt that in the Spurs game um, the West Ham Wigan game there was that sense just a slight sense of let's try and adjust that we've got two different styles going on here and uh, you know half a season behind a club that have been playing in a different type of football <laughs> 
Enough of this. How about some quick hits instead? Chelsea roll to a 3-0 win over Newcastle United as Michi Batshuayi grabs two goals. Allison, you were there. Should that be enough to get him a bit more love from Antonio Conte? Uh, probably it should. You've got to hand it to, to Batshuayi. He's not started often, um, but when he does... He might not always be effective, but he, he he definitely works hard. And he scored twice against Newcastle. I gave him the man of the match. I think a lot of people did. Conte's well, for the tap in and the other one. No, because it wasn't because the... because he is accused of not scoring enough when he starts, and because he did work very hard. And he did he he started one of the moves that led to one of the goals. He he was integral, and he does have an understanding with Chelsea's key players, especially Hazard and a little bit with Pedro. So although I'm not convinced Conte does have love, maybe he should have. 10 goals this season, 12 if you count the nonsense and the checker trade trophy or whatever the hell that is, one goal every 107 minutes uh, of senior football for Michi Batshuayi this season. Yes, although that includes like a hat trick against like Northampton Town Wanderers or something like that. But anyway, Arsenal's chase for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang continues, apparently really, really close. Stuart, you love to talk about the Gooners and their signings. Is this really what they need? Uh, it's the player they needed at the beginning of the season uh, and then they went and bought Lacazette. Aubameyang, I think, is a better version of Lacazette. They're the same sort of player. I don't think they'll play together. So it's an admission that Lacazette hasn't been a good signing. But Aubameyang is better. So it's a, it would be decent for Arsenal. So then Lacazette can move into the Giroud role or the one of like the uh, French centre forward doesn't yeah. play. Perfect, yeah. It's francophone fun at uh, the Emirates. Pep Guardiola came out and said something interesting this weekend. He said, uh, he talked about how, look, City can't go and, and buy everybody for 80 million pounds plus and whatnot. And then he goes and buys Amrick Laporte, who is not an 80 million pound player, but uh, isn't far off that. Somewhat weird signing, which to me, by the way, suggests that Pep might be staying beyond his allotted three years because Laporte is very much a project. But... There was a backlash to this, Alison, which was people saying, oh, look, you know, Pep complaining about not having much money. Is that what Pep intended or is he being a little bit disingenuous here? I know people who live in very grand houses and go on skiing holidays, might even have a second home, and they love nothing more than when they go down the pub to say, oh, I'm a bit short of cash. I can't stay for another drink. I'm a bit short cash. There are there are people there are people who, no matter how much money they have, like to portray themselves as uh, having difficulties and working against the system. And I think Pep just wants to remind everybody that he's still a manager and a coach who has to manage and coach and isn't just given everything on a silver platter. Is that what I, I'd really love to know what he actually meant? Because I, I don't know. I mean, the reality is Manchester City are not as strong financially and they have financial fair play compliance hurdles that, you know, are, are less than a lot of other clubs. But Manchester United, if they wanted to, could go f- push the boat out much further than Manchester City could. It's simply a fact. And, and I don't know, maybe he was sticking up for that or whatever. I, I don't think it was interpreted by the media, certainly the way Pep wanted it to be, um, which doesn't mean he's right or wrong. Alexis Sanchez made his debut in Manchester United's exciting win Friday over Yeovil Town. Robbo, thoughts? Well, what Alexis Sanchez will give Manchester United, he'll give them that little bit of quality in the final third. And he will make the right decisions. Rashford, Martial, Lingard are, are all decent. Lukaku's a decent player. But 
when they come to that final decision, the shot, the final pass, it's not always the right one or it can be a misplaced pass. Alexis Sanchez will make the right decisions and he will create more goals for Manchester United than they've been creating at the moment. Were you on this Alexis right, Alexis left conundrum? Like, does he have to play on the left, which then means Martial and Rashford can be rehomed? Or no. He can play on the right, yeah? He can play wherever he wants. He can play behind the front player if he wanted to. That's where I thought he might play. I thought Lingard might go out to the right, Martial to the left, and Sanchez in behind. West Ham lose at Wigan 2-0, which uh, may be a blessing in disguise. But, um, Alison, Arthur Maswaku makes headlines for spitting an opponent, and he could face a six-game ban. I believe some dude from Leeds got a six-game ban for spitting in the last round. Does that seem equitable to you? Or as I think one newspaper pointed out, Joe Bennett will get nothing. Hey, funny enough, it's our paper. It's the front page of the game. Whereas poor Masuaku, simply for relieving himself, and by the way, it was on the back of the player too, right? It's not like he spat in his face or anything. We'll get a whole six games out. Yeah. I think this is the one area where being a woman doesn't help me because I don't get it. You can spit at me on a football field. I don't care. Every bloke I know thinks it's the most disgusting, terrible thing that could no. happen. And I know not, men. Sorry. I know not every, men. Not every word and not every bloke you know because we have a column in our uh, paper by... It. Tony Cascarino. And also David Priest as well, if I'm not mistaken. Right. They still think spitting's a terrible thing, though. Well, I don't think most people, unless there's some weird fetish, think that it's pleasant. No, it's but. not. It's not a good thing. But I don't. I don't. I don't know how it evolved to be the most terrible thing you could it's, do to, a, to a fellow a strange, professional. It's a strange thing to do. Why would you want to do it? Why do you think you know? Why, you, yeah. So it's, it's a way just, of showing your contempt for an opponent. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, it's not going to do you too much harm, is it? It's, it's, it's a disgusting thing, but it's not. It's not anywhere near as bad as it's somebody trying to break. Ritualistic, though. It's just ritualistic. It's like. When you watch it at any level, if someone spits, then everyone is allowed to act like mm. like something absolutely. It's like someone's taken out a machete and gone mad. It's like it's you're expected to react that way, so it feeds into it generation after generation. This is the worst thing that can happen on a football pitch when it quite clearly is not. Watford's new coach Javi Gracia makes his debut with a defeat at Southampton. Um, the fans don't seem to be very happy. What do you make of the new Hornets boss? It's an interesting one. I've looked at his record. He, I don't think he did a particularly good job at Ruben Kazan in no, his last... Uh, did they, a fine job at Malaga for a while. Yes, uh, and a difficult time for Malaga. That's mm. where I think he's made his reputation. Uh, so it's a strange one. I think he did OK at Osasuna as well. Um, but his win-to-loss to ratio it isn't particularly good. He's done better with teams from lower levels, getting them up at the moment. Watford are in the Premier League, so he's got to try and keep them up. Uh, he's got to try and reunite all the players. He's got to try and reunite the crowd to the players as well and to himself. I think it's going to be a very difficult job for him. A lot of enthusiasm, though. Right, we've done a lot of plugging of the game today. And another plug, because Gab has a, a great column uh, about really a chap. Good, isn't it? Really good, about a chap called Cedric Bakambu. Is that how you say it, Gab? Bakambu, yes, Bacambu. from Villarreal. And uh, no one knows who he is. And yet, he's going to be the fourth most expensive striker in history, okay. isn't he? I think a lot of people know who he is, given that he's been playing in La Liga for the past three years and has played in the Europa League. But what's interesting about him is that um, he's moving, or he's supposed to move, to China, to a team named Beijing Guan. Um, and he had a release clause of around about £35 million, which Beijing Guan paid. However, in China, the Chinese government, to stop capital flight and whatnot, they imposed a luxury tax of 100% on any transfer spend on an overseas player over £5 million. So this would be a £65 million transfer 
if it goes through and they end up paying this tax, which would mean that Bakambu, who, I mean, I'm sure you've seen him, is is a good player, is exciting, but he's 27 years old. I don't think he's ever scored that many goals in a season. His record is like one in two and a half at Villarreal. He'd become the most expensive center forward in history after Romelu Lukaku, Gonzalo Higuain, and, uh, and Luis Suarez. Because it was a buyout clause, his club, Beijing Guan, are, are going to argue that, well, we don't actually need to pay this luxury tax because we're signing him as a free agent. He put the 35 million pounds down, and now he's a free agent, and funny enough, he wants to come to us. I don't I have no idea if they're going to be allowed to get away with it. I certainly hope that they don't because it's kind of disingenuous to think that Pakambu paid 35 million pounds of his own money to uh, buy his uh, freedom. So I think it's a case a case to be looked at because it seems very obvious to me they're trying to uh, avoid the spirit of the law by observing the letter of the law. And it's all down to the Chinese authorities whether they'll be allowed to do it. Why don't we get the buzzer when you're talking? We only get 20 seconds. This is a complicated story. You asked the easy ones. Ooh. It's a, it's a quick hit. Robo, what do we think hit. of Alexis Sanchez? It's a quick hit. And no, you go this, is, this is outside the quick hits. This is in the Gab One For You section. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guest today, Alison Rudd, who's a qualified referee, and Stuart Robson, who's not. Uh, remember, it's just three pounds for a three-month trial. Just search the times online. And remember, you can access highlights of every single game in the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League, and the FA Cup. We're going to be back next Monday for some Klopp versus Poch, which is Liverpool and Spurs. And we'll be joined by a former Arsenal defender, early in his career, and England International, who scored in a World Cup. I'll leave the suspense to you to figure out who that might be. Till next time, bye-bye. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com AI for people to learn more.